Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. So we had a fantastic time. We um, traveled to a, to a conference. It was called the Jesus Festival in Manila. We weren't quite sure what it was going to be like. Was it going to be kind of open air, you know, in a hall, in a, you know. And we got to this place that I can only say resembles the ICC in Durban. It was magnificent. I tell you what, Hillsong Skrikvinux. It was first class professional. There were about 4,000 plus people in attendance. And the various apostolic spheres that are now connecting together with people like Rob and Glenda, Rufus, who we have a sphere of influence with, and some other groups as well, uh, got together. And the key leaders of those groups did most of the speaking at that Jesus conference. Rob preached such an amazing message on the finished work of the cross. When we went to the churches on that Sunday, they were all, you know, when we went to go and minister in the churches in Manila, they were saying, wow, we need to hear more about this, this finished work of the cross, this new covenant, this wonderful message of grace. You see, the gospel is doing well in the Philippines. It has spread like wildfire. It's 80% plus people claim to be Christians at our church game. And then there's a small minority of radical Islamic in the south. That's just a small little dot. But we mustn't get it out of proportion. There's revival in the Philippines. But the gospel spread so quick and people got saved so quickly that there's a lack of good foundational teaching. And people mix up the covenants. And, and many of the folk would have less Bible knowledge than our life group leaders in this church. But no one else could do the job. So they kept their job and run a church. Many, hundreds, wherever you go, there these churches. And we met with about a hundred of these leaders after the conference, and just had like workshops and discussion and finding out what their needs was. I, I was really blessed at the group I was in. One guy started asking questions, and I said, you know, our church went through this grace uh, transition a few years ago, and maybe I could get the book to you. He says, no, no, don't worry, I've already read it. <laughs> um, the, the PDF is out there, and it's circulating. It's our story, what we went through 10 years ago to come into a knowledge of the, the finished work of the cross. And then we went into churches, and there's a great depth of, 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 of love for Jesus, but please come back, please come and teach. We're at the airport on our last leg, because there's like five airports there, and then five airports home. So everyone, it's baggage, and passports, and waiting, and queues, and delays. And I'll tell you those stories when I really want to bore you. But we're standing in one line, and the guys behind us say, Aren't you pastors that went to that conference? Yeah, we introduced ourselves. they pastors on one of the islands. There are now over a thousand islands in the Philippines. They're on an island and they showed us pictures. We're a beautiful church like this, a really lovely church. And uh, they were pleased when you come back, you've got to come. We need to hear more on this. We need to hear, our leaders need training. And So church, thanks for your prayers. Thanks for sending us. Thanks for standing behind us. There is a cost involved, both to our health <laughs> and to our church. But it was just an amazing time. The Jesus Conference went well. The leaders' time with a, probably about 100 couples. So, you know, 
another 50, about 150 people at the leaders' training. And then we went into the various churches ministering and just had an absolute wonderful time. Each region that was represented like New Zealand, they would have their guys come up and talk to us about what the Lord's doing in, in New Zealand. The Australian team came up. The, 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 the Central Europe team came up. The Dutch team came up. Uh, the American, South, uh, uh, North American team came up. And each time there was feedback and questions and we'd break into small groups. Someone would represent the group and then talk to the, the, the... So it was very interactive, very dynamic, like a workshop. But a lot was learnt, a lot was influenced. And as I said at the Life Group Leaders Breakfast yesterday morning, as I fed back on some of these things, for me, one of the highlights was that in all of that, coming back on the aeroplane, I don't know which airport it was, I had this deep sense of, HCC, we're on the right track. HCC, we are called to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus said this gospel will be preached in all nations as a testimony. And only then the end will come. And I'm telling you, Philippines is an example of a country that's been impacted by the gospel. Crime has come down from like 90% to like 10%. Unemployment is going down radically. And last year, they had for the third successive year, a 6.1% growth in their GDP. Come on. This is... The, the salt makes a difference. The church is intended to change a nation. And we do that when we fulfill the Great Commission, one soul at a time. So yesterday morning at the leaders' time, we, we revisited and, and remassaged in the needs for in the small groups to keep learning how to train others to do the work of discipleship. I mean, us sitting there yesterday morning, we know these things and we know different ways of applying them, but people need a simple biblical way to do it that can reproduce. Did you hear that? A simple biblical way that can reproduce. They don't have to do what I did and spend seven years in theology. God calls some people to do that. I don't know why. People need three weeks of gospel and the Bible and they're ready to go. None of this sitting around. I, I do realize in movements and churches you do need people that, that, that are strong in the word. But I'm talking about everyday Christianity making disciples. It's for everybody. And where there are enough disciples and the church starts, then, then we need some biblical training and equipping and, and, and raising the bar on that. But every believer is called to make disciples. Jesus says he'll take care of building the church. It's not our job to build the church. It's his job. But our job that he's given us is to go make disciples. So we want to learn a very simple way and we want to teach you so that you can teach another Christian without doing a master's degree in theology how to make disciples. Am I shouting, Janet? Is this good? Is this okay? I also said to the life group leaders, our goal, unlike it would have been 10, 20 years ago, is not to now multiply, have more home cells. I care little if we come to the end of the year and we've got the same 15 life groups. But I care a lot that in every life group, there's a whole lot of people that are making disciples. Hello? Can you see the difference? This is not just about making more home cells. This is about getting the people in the home cells saying, I can do this. 
I can stamp the DNA of discipleship on somebody else who can make another disciple, who can make another disciple. And it's not a copy of a copy of a copy. It's a copy of the original because we stick with the Bible. The book. I now got a bit excited about that. I came back on the airplane thinking, we are on the right track. And I did make a promise yesterday morning at the group, life group breakfast that I would continue this morning addressing the big why. A, a, a robust, compelling why. Because in a meeting like yesterday, we talk about the what we do and the how we do it and when we plan to do it and who's going to do it. And but, but that's unsustainable without a big, compelling, robust reason, a why. So in a little bit of time, you've given me to speak because you've been listening so well, I'm just talking so much. That's one of Rob's lines. You see, you hang around someone, you end up... I pride myself that I can stick to my time. That's something he's going to get rubbed off on me. Rob's preaching is so good. Like the mercy of the Lord, it just continues forever and forever. Forever and forever. Oh, I love them. I love those guys. They send greetings back to the church. They were so grateful that we could make the effort to get there, pay the price be part of it, support them, minister. And they send huge love back to Howard. They're going to be with us at the end of September. So we look forward to that. Okay. Just before I turn to the first scripture, can I ask you please to stand up? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. During the pre-service prayer meeting this morning, which let me throw an, an ad in here, is really gaining momentum and is an amazing time. And I'd encourage you, if you are here at Hoppers 8, to come join us for 20 minutes. There was a real prophetic cry for our nation at this time in terms of the upcoming elections. Can we just raise our hands right now? We don't come in fear. We don't come in anxiety. But the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And we come now as a congregation and we say, Lord, we ask for a miracle in South Africa. We ask that whoever is in the ruling party will have enough salt sprinkled amongst them that this nation will go from strength to strength to strength. That those without homes will get homes. Those without services will get services. Those, Lord, looking for jobs will find jobs. Those, Lord, who need land would get land. Those, Lord, who need food would get food. We pray, Lord, if you can do it in the Philippines and in other nations, you can do it in South Africa. So root out corruption, Lord. Root out those who are staving up bank accounts overseas and enriching themselves. Root them out and deliver this country from the scourge of corruption and put in place men and women who have a heart for their people. 
people and our people and these people and let South Africa be transformed by the power of your name we declare and all God's people said come on yes amen let's trust God for a miracle for a miracle amen now we can take our seats and if you would turn to anywhere in the Bible and just start reading and The story from Genesis. That's going to be a long one. You see, the question of why is the most important of all the motivation, the reason. Why do we come to church? Why do am I encouraged to read my Bible? Why do I go to a prayer meeting? Why do we go on mission trips? Why do I give my hard cash earned into a, a ministry? Why do why 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 why? If we do not have a why that is compelling, it will be unsustainable. And if that why is just about me, in other words, my promotion, my uh, recognition, you know, because if I do these things and people notice me, and I might get something or get from... See, if, if my why is me, I'm going to be disappointed. If my why is a sense of, well, I just have to. It's my duty. Now, I know sometimes it is a duty. Come on, let's be honest about life. Sometimes you just do what you've got to do because it's the right thing to do. I get that. But you can't live there all the time. Hello? I know some of you, you're like, do I go to church? Don't I go to church today? But I'm glad you came. And you'll be better off when you leave today. So, but it can't just be that. The big one can't just be because I'm transacting with God and I hope if I do something, He'll do something. Sorry for you, God has done all He's going to do. And now you live by faith and take hold of what He's done for you. Amen? I didn't say it's going to come to you automatically. I said, now you live by faith and take hold of what God's done for you. But you ain't going to twist His arm by some transactional, well, Lord, if I do this, then hey, how about you do this? God's not moved by that. He's moved by, God, I see your word shows your character. Your word shows what you want to do. And I believe it. And that settles it. That moves God. So what's this big why? It's none of these things. If it's not because I want to stay saved. You know, I want to get to heaven. I'm scared. If I don't do this and I don't do that or I did do that, I'm going to lose my salvation. Well, I'm sorry for you. You're not going to lose your salvation. Well, that's not really sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry for your wrong belief. I'm dismissing stinking thinking and restoring it with truth. You're not going to lose your salvation. You might not walk in all the, the, the stuff God intended right now that, that you should be in, blah, 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 all that. We know that. But let me tell you, Jesus didn't die transactionally. He died completely finished Say, he's your Lord and Savior. So, so those aren't wise, compelling wise. What are the big wise? Can I put it in the statement? Having an eternal perspective that makes all temporal things trivial by comparison. 
having an, an eternal perspective that makes all other things, all other temporal things, trivial, ordinary, mundane by comparison. It's having a big picture, an eternal perspective. And that's what I'd like to start with this morning in Genesis chapter 3. Everything that happened before Genesis chapter 3 was all good stuff. I mean, God made the world, He created, things were perfect, harvest time and seed and everything beautiful. God and it was all working, God's plan to populate the planet with uh, God obeying, worshipping communities who love Him and be loved and be in His presence. The, the, the rebellion of man kicks in. He commits high treason. He, he relinquishes his nature, subduing authority. He finds himself in, a, in an awkward situation. Right in the midst of all that spiritual death, God comes and makes a promise in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which sets the foundation. Uh, verse 15, uh, God says, I'll put enmity. Steve, have we got that verse coming up? I'll put enmity between... Uh, you and the woman, this is God speaking to, to Lucifer, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And based on that scripture, everything that comes after Genesis 3 in the Bible is the unfolding of the outworking of God's promise to that end. Are you with me? So everything before, thank you, you can take it off, Genesis 3 is... God's creation, and then everything after Genesis 3 is God's redemption. Outworked through a nation. Outworked through a people group called Israelites. Till Messiah, the seed, came. And the first mention we see of this again is in Genesis chapter 12, where God makes a covenant with Abraham to this end, and he says to Abraham, go from the country and people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Say great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all, say all, all people on earth will be blessed through you. And then, a few chapters later, God reiterates in chapter 22, after Abraham's obedience with Isaac, and it says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from the heaven. And then he hears God speaking to him and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities and of their enemies. And through your offspring, say your offspring, the King James it says your seed, which is another word for offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. Thank you. So we see that God makes a promise to the woman about her seed. That ultimately he's going to crush Satan. Then God sets covenants in place. And this is the most probably profound one. Because here is the mention of all nations. So although God chose Israel. 
His intention was all nations. Very important. And he said, I'm going to do it by an oath. You know, God cannot lie. God says, I'm making an oath on this one. This is not going to pass away. And this is going to be for all nations. You know that all nations include South Africa? Do you know that all nations include Zimbabwe? Do you know all nations include the Philippines? And if we open our eyes and begin looking beyond our church meetings, and we begin to see through God's eyes, Him riding down the main streets on a white horse with a mighty, mighty banner of love over the nations, where crime begins to come down, where unemployment becomes becomes down because God is giving His people creative ideas and strategies and governance. We're out making disciples so that people turn their eyes to Jesus and look to Him for help. When we talk about a discipleship movement, we're not talking about having little Jesuses with their little followers. There's no little Jesuses. There's only one Jesus. And we're all following Him. Just some of us are a little bit ahead of others. So if you're three weeks in the Lord, you can probably lead someone that's one week in the Lord. But you don't become their Jesus. They don't have to obey and submit to you like Jesus. Both of you submit to Jesus. Amen? And when we get that right, and we see that my Christianity is not just about attending this meeting to give me the goosebumps, and this meeting to teach me more about what I already knew I knew, and this for that. No, I see God. You are going to... Make me a multiplier of this message. One person at a time. Come on. Well, how, Steve? Well, I spoke about that yesterday. It's going to get to you. But the why we're looking at this morning. So God makes this promise that all nations are going to be blessed. That includes our nation. Now, I don't know about you. I know what this nation is capable of. And I know there's so much more for our region. And if I'm honest, and I have to evaluate against the news and what I hear, there are two contradicting pictures. Now I get to choose which picture I'm going to believe. God, you said all nations will be blessed. So what is it? What is the key to that blessing? Because surely seeing nations, disciples, Seeing nations transformed. Jesus said, this gospel will be preached to all nations as a testimony, and then the end will come. He said, this is my this was his last words to his disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. You see, in the book of Acts, they didn't do that very well until about chapter 9, 10. They were too busy worrying about Jerusalem. It's another sermon. But God wants nations changed. And transformed. And it's not going to just happen when he comes back again in the clouds. He's riding a white horse right now. And he's looking for partners. And those who will say, Lord, this is something worth committing my life to. You see, unless we have an eternal perspective that is greater than anything else, and makes everything else trivial in comparison, we won't want to pay the price we know we have to pay sometimes. We won't do the commitment we know we should do sometimes. We won't be motivated just by a whole lot of what to do. Are you with me? 
Until we see the nations as God sees and we hear His word saying, Abraham, through your seed, I'm going to change history and the nations before the great and awesome day of the Lord's return are going to be impacted when my church begins standing in agreement on earth as it is in heaven. When my church starts seeing that the great commission, my last command is their first priority. When my church begins to rise up on the authority and take the keys of the kingdom and use them. Let's look at Galatians. Now, I read this in the, the Passion Bible. Has anyone heard of the Passion Bible? It's written, I forget the guy's name, he's Australian, a New Zealander, uh, holds various doctorates in ancient languages, a very astute uh, a theologian in ancient languages. And he wrote, he did a, it's not just a paraphrase, he really went into the contextual meaning of words and phrases and he did an outstanding job in this translation. Um, so I can recommend it. Probably more than the Amplified and the Message and some of those good news. And It's really a good translation. Okay, it's enough for my... I'll get my commission later. It's, let's read this together. Abraham, our father of faith, led the way as our pioneering example. He believed God and the substance of his faith released God's righteousness to him. So those who are the true children of Abraham will have the same faith as their father. God's plan all along was to bring this message of salvation to the nations through the revelation of faith. Long ago, God prophesied over Abraham, as the Holy Scriptures say, through your example of faith, all nations will be blessed. And so the blessing of Abraham's faith is now our blessing too. Beloved friends, let me use an illustration that we can all understand. Technically, when a contract is signed, it can't be changed after it has been put into effect. It's too late after the agreement. Remember the royal proclamation God spoke over Abraham and to Abraham's seed. God said that this, his promise were made to pass on to Abraham's seed, not seeds, plural. The promise was about Christ, okay? And who is the, the seed? It's the son of promise, Jesus, the anointed Messiah, and this means that the covenant between God and Abraham was fulfilled in Messiah and cannot be altered. God wasn't making a covenant with people because they could break it. So what does He do? He makes a covenant with Himself. God made a covenant with Himself that cannot be broken. Let's, let's read on. Okay, we are. Yet the written law was not given to Moses until... 430 years later, after God had signed his contract with Abraham. The law then doesn't supersede the promise, since the royal proclamation was given before the law. If that were the case, it would have been nullified what God said to Abraham. We receive all the promises because of the promised one, not because we keep the law. Why then was the law given? It was meant to be an intermediary agreement added after God gave the promise. Of the coming one. 
It was given to show men how guilty they are. And it remained in force until the seed was born to fulfill the promises given to Abraham. When God gave the law, He didn't give it to them directly, for He gave it first to the angels. They gave it to Moses, His mediator, who gave it to people. That was the Old Testament law. And He goes on in verse 23. So until the revelation of faith for salvation was released, the law was a jailer holding us in prison under lock and key until the faith which was destined to be revealed would set us free. The law becomes a gateway to lead us to the Messiah so that we would be saved by faith. But when faith comes, the law is no longer in force. The law is no longer in force. Since we have already entered into life, you have all become true children of God by faith in Jesus. Not because everyone's automatically saved. But by faith in Jesus, the Anointed One, it was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the Anointed One. Now watch this. Watch this. And now you are covered and clothed with His anointing. And we see no, long, no longer see each other in our former state, Jews, non-Jews, rich, poor, male, female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ, with no distinction among us. And yes, here it is. And since you've been united, have you been united? Who's been united with Jesus? Okay. And since you've been united to Jesus, the Messiah, you are now Abraham's child and inherit all the promises of the kingdom realm. Do you see it? Do you see it? The promise to Abraham was that your seed, the promise to the woman after she fell was to your seed, meaning Christ, not seeds, not all the people. It was your seed. And then the seed came and he was Messiah and he was born and lived and he was crucified, buried and resurrected on the third day. And whoever puts their faith in him shares in that burial, shares in that crucifixion, shares in that resurrection. You are co-resurrected, co-buried, co-crucified and now you've been co-ascended into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the promises spoken to Abraham have been spoken over our lives so that we can enter into that kingdom authority. Wow. Wow. And what's the goal of that? The nations. That the nations we transform. Not uh, I'll have a peaceful little laugh now that I've heard that Jesus loves me and I go through life and I'm peaceful, peaceful, and I'm so happy, happy, and I'm uh, I gave my life to Jesus so I could find some peace with myself. That is such a small vision. You found Jesus so that you could come into the promises to Abraham that in his seed all the nations on the earth would be blessed and transformed. Nations would be turned around and turned the right side up. How good is that news? I want to remind myself, Lord, there's a whole lot of things we're doing. There's a whole lot of things we do. There's a whole lot on the calendar, which by your grace I hope to trim. 
without having too many resignations in the church. But God, the why, is what directs me. I believe that the promise you spoke to Abraham, that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that blessing comes upon our life. And when we pass it on, we become a river and not a swamp. A swamp is where water runs and stops. And after a while it smells. A river is where water comes and keeps flowing. And keeps flowing. Keeps flowing. And we have to decide, is my life going to be a river? My life going to be a swamp? Because you, you can be a swamp and get to heaven. Am I going to be a river? Is my Christianity a flag on the boat or a sail on the boat? You know the difference between a sail and a flag. A flag flaps any way the wind's blowing. A sail captures the energy of the wind and directs the vessel in that direction. In the church, I can be a flag. I can be a sail. But why? Can I ask you to just stand up with me? I want to pray for an eternal perspective that will make all temporal things trivial in comparison. That God will show you the nation. God will show you the nations. And the promise that He intended. So can you just maybe lift your hands in an attitude of prayer and say Pray this prayer, this biblical prayer after me right now. Lord, give us the nations. We align our lives with your commission to make disciples of all nations. And when the message is preached in all nations, we, the end will come. We'll see the promise of your return. Open my eyes. Just while you're standing there, I want to read the last scripture in Revelation chapter 7. Just let this come up and let it sink into you. In Revelation chapter 7, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. From every nation, from every tribe, from every people, standing before the throne, thank you, standing before the throne, from every nation, We'll be gathered there. And the fruit that came from us will be gathered there. And the trees that came from our fruit will be gathered there. And the fruit from the trees, from the seeds, from our fruit will be gathered there. We say, Lord, to you be the glory. Would you bring our minds in alignment with a heavenly perspective? Would you bring our minds into alignment with a heavenly perspective.